0: Uh, we are in a series that we have been in for a few weeks now, a series of talks that is going to go through most of the summer called Rhetorical Questions, and we're talking all about the questions that Jesus asked, and we've, as, as we've studied the life of Jesus, realized that Jesus is a master question asker. Uh, he has this ability to ask just the right question at just the right time, and these questions, they penetrate our hearts, and they teach us things. About ourselves and, and we said this the first week we said the, the, the journey as we follow Jesus uh, the day that we make that decision it 's not the end but the beginning of this this process, this journey that we 're on, and we 're going to spend the rest of our lives getting to know this Jesus in new and deeper ways, and so we are just at the very beginning uh, of this of this journey of understanding ourselves and understanding who uh, this Jesus is. And so last week we talked about uh, being offended, and I don't know if you got offended. You're back this week, so that's cool. Um, Or maybe you weren't here last week, so you can go watch that online and then decide if you want to come back next week. But uh, we talked about what it means to be offended, and I challenged you guys that you would be offended by only what offends the heart of God. And instead of being the kind of person who uh, has their mind and their time filled with uh, these offenses that maybe don't matter to God, that we would focus our attention on the things that do matter to Him. And so, not that we would never be offended, but that we would be offended uh, by the things that break the heart of God, the things that we see in this world that do not look like His kingdom, that it doesn't look like heaven on earth. And when we see that, we go, man, there's a, there's a change that needs to be ma- made, and we, we know that uh, we can make some kind of uh, addition to that to help restore that. And so today, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about what it means to love Jesus a little bit more, and we're going to be in the book of John, uh, chapter 7. And so if you want to open your Bibles to the book of John, you can do that. Uh, the question of the day is simply this, which will love him more? We're talking a lot about gratitude today, and, and the sun is outside. Who's grateful? Who's grateful? We are so grateful for that in Alaska. Uh, we have not seen enough sun this summer, and, uh, but we do have a lot to be thankful for in Alaska, don't we? Um, if you've lived here for any amount of time, you can start to drive past these amazing mountains and forget that they're there. Um, you, can, you can miss out on all of these animals and this beautiful place that we can go enjoy and just get into the routine of life. But we have so much to be thankful for. And, and I was actually talking with a friend of mine the other day about gratitude. And he, was, he texted me, he's like, hey man, I'm, I'm struggling with living a complacent lifestyle. I feel like I've got all this opportunity and all of these things and I feel like I miss out on it. And so we had this great conversation about what it looked like to be actually thankful. And he said, what I'm trying to do is you know, motivate myself and do things and, and try to utilize the opportunities that I have and, and uh, be more intentional about my life. And, and as we, got, we went through the conversation, what uh, came to my mind and what I felt like God convicted me of was that the opposite of complacency is not motivation, but it's gratitude. And when your heart is filled with gratitude, what you find is motivation, what you find is a desire to uh, utilize everything that God has given you, to love the people that are close to you, and to enjoy every opportunity that you have. And so we have a lot to be thankful for in Alaska, but there's a lot of things we don't have, right? Um, And if you're new, you'll learn this over time. There's things that you kind of wish you had in Alaska, interstates, right? No interstates in Alaska. And so that's kind of a bummer. You come up here and you're like, I just want to go for a drive to another... That's Canada. You're going to go to Canada. That's your only option, right? Um, we don't get that, that feeling when you get into the car and it's just like suffocating hot. You don't get that in Alaska. And, and I know when you're in the lower 48, you hate that feeling, but I miss that sometimes. That feeling where I can't even breathe when I slam the door on the car. Um, we don't have friends that stop by because they were just passing through in Alaska, right? Like, just on my way to Russia, you know, to so I stop by and say, Hi, that just doesn't happen in Alaska. Um, I get food envy. So that's one of my biggest issues is I love to eat food. I love to go to a good restaurant. And so there's certain restaurants that we don't have in Alaska, one of of which is this restaurant. There it is. Who likes Chick-fil-A? Oh man, see, we need, to, we need to let the word out. There is a movement of Alaskans for Chick-fil-A in Alaska, uh, but apparently it's not big enough. So I have actually written letters. They're not coming. I don't know what the problem is. There is plenty of opportunity. Just take it down. Take it down. It's, it's driving me crazy. It's so hard to see it, right? Because, man, we just, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And isn't that the truth? You don't have certain things, and you wish you did have those things. And then, you know, we're going to go back and visit some family this summer, and we're going to get some Chick-fil-A. And here's what I know, is it's just going to be chicken. That's what I know. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to be like, meh. It's chicken, you know, it's chicken and waffle fries. You know, you can go get chicken in Alaska. You can get waffle fries in Alaska. But you're like, it's not the same. It is the same. It's almost the same, at least. And so we have this tendency to miss out on what we have because we're constantly thinking about what we don't have. And we have this tendency to not live lives of gratitude. And and so I want to take this a little deeper and ask you, what does it mean to be grateful for the grace of Jesus? What does it mean in your life to truly be thankful for what Christ has done for you? And to live a life where you wake up every morning and go to bed every night absolutely thankful for what Christ has done. How do you do that? How can we live that way? And so we're going to go to a story in the book of John, that, that is, is a, is a, or in the book of Luke, that's a story of a woman that is, uh, is not invited to a party. She shows up and she's uninvited and she is a, a prostitute. So she is new, known only for her reputation in the community. And so she shows up to this moment. I want us to stand up together and let's read this passage. Let's stand in honor of God's word and read this together. Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36. Did I say John? Luke, yeah. Book of Luke. Sorry. It's my third time preaching this. you think I'd get it right. Anyway, Luke 7, chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus answered him, "'Simon, I have something to tell you. "'Tell me, teacher,' he said. "'A certain moneylender who had two debtors "'owed one 500 denarii and the other 50. "'When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. "'Now which of them will love him more?' "'Simon answered, "'The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. "'And he said to him, "'You have judged rightly.'" And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, "Who is this who even forgives sins?" And they said to the woman, "Your faith," or he said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together over God's word. Jesus, thank you so much for this story. Um, God thank you that uh, God, we can hear your word today. And Father, we pray that you put us in a posture of gratitude. God, we know we have so much at our fingertips, so many opportunities. And so God show us what it means to live a life thankfulness. God, show us what it means to notice all that we've been given. God, show us what it means to appreciate your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So in this story, we've got two responses to Jesus, two reactions to Jesus. We've got Simon's, and then we've got this prostitute. And so just, I want to kind of paint the picture of this moment. Uh, in this time, people oftentimes were, would eat outside. And so this was a banquet hall, and uh, these religious people had invited Jesus to be a part of this, uh, this dinner. And we don't really know why they invited him. Probably to kind of uh, put him in a corner theologically and get him into some trouble. Uh, but they invited him, and, and, and so they're all eating together. You'd imagine just there's a table. There's probably a, a, a small wall around the outside. There's maybe some flowers and a, and a fountain and then outside this wall would be this open public space where people would be coming and going. And, and it was, it was uh, a custom typically that these lower-income poor people would hang around uh, the dinners. And they'd listen in on what the rich people were saying. And they'd look inside and see what the rich people were eating. And they'd be interested in what's going on there. And so you've got this invite-only party. And then this woman shows up who did not get the Facebook invite. And she walks through into this, this banquet hall. And everybody knows who she is. She is the prostitute. She's, she has a reputation that precedes her. And she comes to meet with Jesus, not invited. Now, Jesus was a guest of Simon's, and we see that, that, that Jesus was not greeted the way that most guests would have been greeted. It would have been customary for Jesus to get a basin of water to wash his feet, to have some oil to anoint his head for his, for his hair. Uh, It would have been customary for Simon to give Jesus a a kiss on on either cheek as he showed up. And and so this had not happened up until this point. This woman comes in. And we don't know much about what she knew about Jesus or what happened before this time. What we do know is that Jesus had just preached a sermon. And in that sermon, he says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so here's what I think. I, I just think maybe she heard that sermon. And I think she's standing in the back of the crowd, you know, feeling like she doesn't belong there, and she's thinking to herself, I could use some rest, I could use some peace. And so here's Jesus, she knows that he's here, and she's like, I'm going to go find that guy because I need some peace and rest in my life. And she crashes the party and she walks in, and, and, and when she sees Jesus, the emotions start to well up inside of her this ever happened to you where just unexpectedly you get emotional and here's what i know about you ladies because i have a wife and two daughters is that god has given you a specific kind of gift the gift of being able to go from not emotional to just like snot face crying in like half a second right it's a spiritual gift you all have it um (laughs) But, but this woman walks in, and, and it's like, th- it hits her, and she's crying. And this isn't just like a cute cry. This is nasty, wet, snotty, just crying down uh, onto the ground, onto Jesus' feet. And you get the sense that uh, she wasn't ready for it, uh, partially because she didn't have like a box of Kleenex in her back pocket. She didn't have a towel ready to wipe her tears. And so you, you, you get this, this feeling in this moment that this woman encounters Jesus and has an experience that she wasn't even ready for. And the emotions well up, and this, this need for peace, and this hope that this man could give her the peace and the rest that she needs in her life. And she starts weeping, and she wets his feet with her tears. And she thinks, what am I going to do with this? I just wet uh, his feet with my tears. And so all she could think in the moment, she was kind of unself-aware, right? Because when you're emotional, you're not thinking a whole lot about how you look or what's going on in the moment. And all she can think is, what do I have? What do I have? I have hair. I have hair. Now, I don't know how long you ladies spent this morning taking care of your hair, but for many women and most women, it's like your hair is something you want to care for. And for this woman, uh, her appearance was part of her profession, right? I mean, she literally sold her body to make money. She's a prostitute. So she probably would have tried to take care of her body and her hair as much as she could have. But then she does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair right? We're like, well, I don't get it. What's the big deal? In this culture, this was an extremely erotic act. Like this is something only a woman would do at home with her husband, would be to let down her hair. Not something that any respectable woman would ever do in public. She doesn't even care, right? She's like, there's, his feet are wet. I've, I've wet his, uh, his feet with my tears. I need to wipe them up. I've got hair. I'm going to do this. And so she lets down her hair and she kneels down at his feet and she's still crying and she's just wiping up this, his dirty feet with, his, with her hair. It's just this kind of nasty moment, right? It's just a little gross and people are looking around like, what's going on? And you've got the religious people standing in the corner judging this woman and, and judging Jesus for allowing her to do this. And, and so we pick it up in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You sense the judgment in that statement? She's a sinner. Jesus, don't you know who this woman is? But it's so interesting to me that these, these religious men are standing in the corner judging this whole situation. And the one who is at the feet of Jesus is the sinner. It's, it's the one in the room who is most aware of their depravity, most aware of their sinfulness and it's funny and and interesting throughout the life of Jesus that's who wants to hang out with Jesus everybody else all the religious people want to want to catch Jesus in trap and get him in trouble but the people that want to hang out with Jesus are the sinful and the broken now if you have a pen I want you to write this down if if you're loved by the broken and hated by the religious you're beginning to look a little like Jesus if you are loved by the broken and hated by the religious, you're beginning to look like Jesus. Is, is this your life? Just take kind of an inventory of the people that want to be around you. Do you tend to only attract people who believe what you believe? People who agree with you theologically? Or do you tend to attract people with only morally upright looking lifestyles? Or are there people around you who are just as jacked up seeming as this lady is? Because she, she looks like a mess, she's a public mess. Now, everybody in the room is a mess, but she is the one that's acknowledging her sin and her humility at the feet of Jesus. So I wonder for you, again, as you look at the people in your life, is everybody pretty squeaky clean? Or are there people that want to be around you who are just a mess? Are they attracted to you? Do they want to be around you for some reason? Do you just sort of like breathe the gospel in such a way that people in our community want to be around you? The broken, the needy, the hurting. And you need to know this as a church, this is our mission. This is who we are for. We are not a country club for the righteous. We are a a triage center, a trauma center for the broken and for the hurting. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know who I am in this story? I'm that woman because I'm at church today and I don't feel like I belong around all you righteous looking people. You need to know this, that the person next to you is just as broken as you are. They're in just as much need of grace as you are. Now, some people are more aware of it than others, but we all need it. And that's what we see in this story is it's, it's not so much about the amount of sin as, as it is about the awareness of sin. And this woman is, is clearly aware of her need for grace. And so Jesus tells this story to Simon. I love that he's like, hey, Simon, I got a story to tell you. I know what you're thinking, right? Jesus knows things like that. So he says, I got a story to tell you. There are two debtors. And you guys, listen, you don't need like a Bible degree to understand this story. It's pretty simple. There are two debtors. One owes uh, the, the, the moneylender a lot of money, 500 denarii. That'd be like 500 days wages. So just do the math in your head. What is 500 days wages? That's a lot of money. The other owes him 50 denarii, which would be about 50 days wages. So once again, a lot of money, not quite as much. And he asks a simple question. Oh, the money moneylender cancels the debt of both of the debtors. Which one loves the moneylender more? Which one is more appreciative? And Simon's like, Pfft. easy easy one Jesus it's it's the one with the larger debt and Jesus is like that's right the one who is forgiven much loves much what Jesus is talking about is that this isn't so much about the amount of your debt this is about your awareness of your need for grace are you today are you aware of your need for grace do you do you tend to think of your sin on a sliding scale you're not as bad as that person. You might not be as good as those people. Most of us, our biggest hope is just to be somewhere in the middle, right? Right? I'm not a serial killer, but I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm just right in the middle, like par in the course. That's, you know, that's a good goal. Just, can, I, can I just par the course for my life? And that's what most people kind of think. And, and because of that, we feel like, well, that's going to get me into heaven in some way or another because I'm a decent human being. I try to do good things. Whereas this situation, it shows us that both of these people are still in debt, right? Whether it's 50 denarii or 500, they both owe the moneylender. They're both in debt. And what we see is that in our hearts, as we look at ourselves, we are in debt to God because of our sin. We both stand having a debt that we can't pay off. So the reality of both of the people who owe money to this moneylender is neither of them can pay it whether it be 50 or whether it be 500. And you guys know this, right? When you were maybe younger and didn't have as much money, if you owed somebody 100 bucks, it might as well have been a million dollars, right? And then maybe as you, as you grow and you make more money and grow in your job and you've got more now, maybe you owe somebody, you know, you've got a mortgage, right? You owe somebody $250,000. But that's a manageable debt for you. So again, it's not so much about the amount, as it is a, your perspective on what you owe. So we owe God a debt that we cannot pay. But Romans 5, 1 says this. I love this passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's justified just as if we've never sinned, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's cool, right? Paul's like, the grace that we have through Jesus that we access by faith, now that we have it, we rejoice. Is that you? Are you like, yes, I have grace? Do you wake up in the morning grateful, thankful for this grace? Are you ever this woman at the feet of Jesus weeping over your sin? Have you ever felt the pain of your sin, of your brokenness? And I'm not talking about just, you know, this like, ah, I did something wrong and it hurts and the the consequences are bad. But this, this feeling of, of separation, this reality that I have sinned against a holy God, and that He is so different than me, and yet somehow, some way, by His grace, I can be in a relationship with Him. If that doesn't blow your mind once in a while, I don't think that you're as aware of your sin as you need to be. I mean, we should wake up every morning with our minds blown like, I get to be a son or a daughter of God. Wow, Right? Wow, do you wake up like that? Because in this story, the one who wakes up that way is not the religious man. It's the broken woman. And it's so interesting as you study this that you see that the one who is at most risk of missing the kingdom of God is not the religious person, or is not the the sinful person, it's the religious person. Which is so different than what we might think. If If you saw two people... And one, you know, is a, is, a, is a prostitute, is selling her body uh, to make money, and she's, she's, you know, doing this stuff that does not look like love to her or to other people. And then you've got over here this religious person who, you know, their, their tie is nice and straight, and they go to church every Sunday, and, you know, they, they give a little bit of money, and they, they look, like, really good from the outside. Which one would you think would be most at risk of missing the kingdom of God? You might be like, surely it's the broken prostitute. What's interesting in this story is the one at more risk is the one with the righteous life. The one who looks really clean and and, and squeaky clean on the outside, but on the inside, they're dirty. They're they're proud. They're arrogant. They don't really feel like they need grace, whereas this woman is humble before her Savior, humble before the person who could give her access to the peace she desperately needs. Here's what's wrong with us, and and I'm just going to be honest with you. In the church we sort of have these sins we think are really bad and these ones that we think are not that bad. Am I right? Right? I mean, don't we sort of, we have things, and let's just be honest, uh, sexual sin. Anything sexual, when it comes to those things, we would say, that's like, that's bad sin, right? You know, I just, you know, cheated on my taxes. But there's this woman who's a prostitute, that's like really bad sin, you know, we, we tend to see things on a scale, and, and in fact, some people argue it theologically, and maybe you're like, well, Brian, they're not all the same, right? Doesn't Paul say that, that all other sins are outside of the body, but sexual sin is, is sin to the body, which is the temple of God? Isn't, isn't, doesn't the Bible say that? Absolutely. It does say that. But what he's not saying is that sexual sin is more offensive to God than your pride, what he is saying is, is the, the, the repercussions and the consequences of sexual sin are greater than certain other sins, right? And we, we, you've seen this, haven't you? You've all made, you're not just perfect little church people, nod your heads, yep. You have made decisions, you've done things sexually in your life that you're like, yeah, it's a bad choice. Still feeling the consequences of that one, maybe today, maybe years later in your life. You guys still with me, right? So uh, this does exist, and we, we struggle with these things. And so we know that the consequences are great, but both of those people are actually separated from God because of their sin. Again, it's not so much the amount, it's, it's not so much the kind of sin, it's simply it's the awareness that any sin at all makes you in debt to a God with a debt that you could never pay on your own. Like only by somebody coming out of nowhere to pay our debt could we ever be free. And that's the beauty of Jesus. That's what he does for us. And so we got to stop this whole like, man, this stuff's really bad and this stuff's not so bad, right? Because the Bible's clear. It's like, well, you call you know, him or her an adulterer, but the Bible says if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already adultered. You've already given yourself to her. You've already committed adultery. Right? And so once like, you say, well, he's a thief, but you, you, you think about stealing things all the time, Right? And so, you know, you say, well, he's an idolater. It's like, well, you have all these things in your life that you make as idols in your life. And so I think that we make a lot of excuses. We put ourselves in different categories, like Simon is doing in this situation. She, she's a sinner. So then what do you, Simon? You think you're clean? You think you're good? So Jesus tells them this story. And I love that he says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's all it took was just have a little faith. So we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be aware of the separation between us and God. This is what's going to help us to live in gratitude. And write this down. Peace means everything to those who comprehend the war. If you don't realize that your heart, apart from Jesus, is at war with God, then when Jesus says, hey, I can give you peace, you're like, I kind of already got some peace if you don't realize that even though it's sunny outside in Alaska and we're all like really excited about it, maybe you're getting the bills paid and maybe your kids are actually doing what you tell them to this week. You know, maybe all these things are going well, but you don't understand there is a deep spiritual battle, that there's a war being waged for your heart and your attention. And although you may not be doing bad things, are you doing good things? You're like, well, I'm not screwing it up over here, but this is what we see in the situation with Simon and this woman. For, for this woman, she had these, what I would call, sins of commission. She had done these things that are just wrong. And, and we know that. But for Simon, his were sins of omission, right? He, he had not done the things that are right. He had not given grace to those who needed it. And so both of them, once again, equally sinful, equally depraved and in need of grace. Just one of them was more aware of it. So, two responses to Jesus, which of these will love him more? I just want to talk about the, the the difference between these two. Verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So the first thing is this: Simon is embarrassed, but she is bold. Simon's embarrassed. He's like, Get up off the floor, lady. You're making us all uncomfortable. This isn't even your party. What are you doing here? He's just embarrassed. You just see these religious people sitting in the corner judging this woman, and she's boldly worshiping the one who could give her peace. And you guys, I've been so convicted by this this week because I cannot tell you how many times I have missed out on going to the feet of Jesus because I've been embarrassed, because I've been insecure. You guys, I have so many insecurities. I come, I come up here every single week to teach you guys, and I'm insecure. There's this part of me that's that's afraid of what you're going to think. There's a part of me that is just so afraid I'm going to screw this thing up. And so I get insecure about a lot of stuff. But that insecurity can result in in a life where we're not willing to go before God boldly. We're too embarrassed. We're too worried about what people think or about what's going to happen. So we don't go before God boldly. She goes before him boldly. I love this. Humbly before the one who would give her peace. And I love that in this moment as she's on the floor, she's reflecting the life of Jesus more than Simon is. You see, they thought Jesus would come with a sword to take over Rome, right? Instead, he shows up with a towel and is like, who needs their feet washed? So this woman gets on her knees and she's washing the feet of Jesus, the same Jesus who would wash the disciples' feet before he would be crucified. And she's wiping down his feet with her hair. Simon's embarrassed. He's uncomfortable with this whole situation. She is bold. We read of David. You remember this story where David dances through the streets naked, right? He's like dancing worship. We're not going to do that at church. Don't worry. But he's just like, he's running through the streets and he's just so abandoned that he's, he's dancing and, and he, he gets judged by this woman, Michael. She's looking out the window and she judges him in her, in her heart. You guys remember that? She judges him in her heart. And she's like, what is he doing? He's, he's just like unashamed out there. And I was thinking about, this is really common, that people who aren't free often judge those who are. Isn't that right? You ever been like, what is that person doing? Why would they act that way? Oh, that's so uncomfortable. Bro, stop. There's this tendency, like, to judge people when you aren't free yourself, and that's what we see in that moment. It's the same thing, I wonder if Simon's like, I could never do that. So, it's much more comfortable to judge her than it is to, to actually deal with the conviction in my own heart of, like, why? Why wouldn't I ever do that? And what is it that would cause me not to be willing to go to my knees before someone, before my Savior? Verse 38 As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The next thing we see is that Simon is cheap, but she is generous. Simon is cheap, but she is generous. This perfume, what you need to understand is that this perfume was a representation of her lifestyle and of her sin, right? So she's a prostitute, and prostitutes would use this this perfume and this oil uh, for part of their trade, right? And so this, this perfume would probably be the strongest perfume she could find. You can imagine if this was your job and you're constantly being with these, these men, that your goal would be to try to keep the scent away as much as possible, just to distract yourself from what you're doing. And so she probably found the, the strongest perfume that she could possibly find. And then she goes to Jesus, and she, she doesn't just dribble it on Jesus' feet like, this stuff's expensive, Jesus, you can take a little bit, right? Instead, she just pours it out liberally on the feet of Jesus, almost like a symbol of how aware of her sin she is. Uh, just think about that. Your generosity, your willingness to pour things out at the feet of Jesus, I think is a symbol of how well you are aware of your sin. Uh, just think about it. You become more generous the more aware you are of the grace that you're being given, right? When you are aware of the grace that Jesus offers you, what happens is you become more generous to Jesus, you begin to worship differently. You used to worry about what you'd look like and what people might think of you. And what if they judge me if I lift my hand in church? You know, what if, what, what if somebody looks at me funny? And that's not how I grew up doing this. And you just, you're so aware of the sin in your life. And the grace of Jesus is so glorious to you that you just kind of forget about it. You just pour your life out. And, and if you look at the Old Testament, this is what worship always has looked like. God never desired, like, if there was a sacrifice to be made, it was never like the three legged goat that you had in the corner that nobody wanted it's walking in circles, right? That's not the one you would sacrifice. You'd, you'd give the first and the best of everything that you'd had. That's what you would bring to the altar. And that was the only sacrifice that God would receive. Not this lame leftovers, right? So here's Simon. Simon is cheap. He doesn't give him a basin to wash his feet, he's like, I don't give him any oil. I'm not going to kiss him on his cheeks, right? This woman comes in and she's just kissing him and she's wiping his feet with her tears and putting this oil and this perfume on him. And it's just this, this moment of beautiful worship is what we're seeing. We're seeing like true worship. And I just have to ask you, has worship for you ever looked anything like that? So, you, so if you're like, well, not really, then what does it mean to get there? For this woman, I think it was just such an awareness of her brokenness and her need for peace. She was so desperate that she was willing to do anything. And if anybody in the room, she should have been the last person to be willing to do that. They were already judging her. They already knew her past. And yet she is the only one who's willing to go to the feet of Jesus. Once again, who's at risk? Not the sinful woman, the religious people who are too proud to pour themselves out as an offering. So we are challenged by the life of this woman. True worship will cost you something. True worship will cost you everything. And that's what we see in this moment. She pours out everything she has. She pours out this oil. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. That's beautiful. Simon minimizes his sin, but she owns her mistakes. This is the difference. Simon minimizes his sin. He stands in the corner judging her. And he calls her a sinful person. The only people who call other people sinful people are people who are not aware of their own sin. Right? He categorizes her. But he's not, he's repulsed by her sin, but he's not repulsed by his own. I was thinking about this. When I was a kid, remember going to Chuck E. Cheese's? Anybody go to Chuck E. Cheese? I remember like the first time I went to Chuck E. Cheese's. I was a little kid and I'm eating pizza and I got like pizza sauce on my face. I remember this vividly. And my mom, she's like, what do I do with that? I gotta wipe it off. She like tries to wipe it off, it doesn't come off. And so then she did what every parent does in a moment like this. You know what she does? She gets the paper towel, wraps it around her finger and she licks it, right? She licks the, you, you parents have done this, come on. So she licks the paper towel and then I'm like, what's going on, what's happening? And she wipes the stuff off my face, Right? And I'm like, oh, that's terrible, right? Because it's like this other person's spit smell, right? It's disgusting. I'm like, mom, why would you ever do this? And so it like turned into a routine. And every time I had something on my face, she'd lick the paper towel and wipe it off my face, right? She's probably watching. I love you, mom. Anyway, (laughs) every parent's done this. I've done this to my kids. But but I remember I was like, mom, can you please stop doing that? It just smells terrible. It's just disgusting. And she's like, well, I've got an idea. I was like, what? she sticks out the nap she goes lick the napkin i'm like what she's like lick it and then she, she, so I lick the napkin and she wipes it out. i'm like that's better that's better it's not quite as bad right it doesn't smell like that other person it was just it was disgusting right and so i was thinking thinking about this and i was thinking about how like we tend to be so offended and so um just uh, we're, we're thrown off by other people's sin but our own sin doesn't offend us right it's just it's so funny that in that situation, I'm like, oh, it's my own, it doesn't really matter. And what you see in this story is that Simon is is so offended by this other person's sin, but he's just not even aware of his own. And I feel like that's how most of us live, constantly judging other people's lives. And so I want to ask you today, who is that woman in your life? That you're like, Man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I should be around him or her. Uh, they're a sinner. And what does it look like to be grateful for the grace of Jesus? Once again, this is not about the amount. Maybe you're like, well, Brian, I just haven't done that much wrong in my life. Here's what you need to know is that you've probably done more wrong than you know. And if you're, if you're brave enough to ask God, I think he'll show you. And I want to speak to people in the, in the church who've been Christians for a while, have been around the church a long time. There is this journey that we tend to go on where we start off really grateful for the grace of Jesus. Like kind of walking on air, and maybe it was emotional, and maybe you shed some tears, and man, it was it was legit. And then as life went on, it became sort of that routine, that that normal thing. You got kind of used to the grace of Jesus, and it doesn't really, it doesn't affect you anymore. Once again, I think that we can come back to look at our lives and and maybe once in a while, what if we asked God to show us who we'd be apart from his grace? What if we slow down? We're like, God, just show me my life apart from your grace. You're brave enough to ask God that? God, show me the sin that I don't even know is there. Show me all of the stuff. Just reveal it to me so that I can see who I am, so I can be honest and self-aware, and so that I can appreciate your grace more. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that we don't do often. And uh, in, in many faith traditions, they do it all the time, but it's something called uh, confession. And, and don't worry, I'm not going to put your, your, your stuff up on the screen and ask you to come up forward. What I do want you to do, is to take just a minute in prayer, that you would bow your head and and that we could stop for a second and and say, God, would you reveal to us who we are apart from your grace? Would you show us our sin? Because here's what we know is that most of us have blind spots. Uh, In fact, you all do. That's why they're called blind spots. We, We don't see them. They're things that we don't know are there. And so asking God, would you reveal to me the blind spots? Would you show me my sin? Now, here's the beautiful thing is that, that with Jesus, you don't have to stay there. You can actually step forward in that and receive the peace that Jesus offers. But what you need to know is that you have to receive it. You see, not everybody is forgiven. Jesus offers forgiveness to those who would receive it by faith. So if you're here today, just because Jesus lived does not mean you were forgiven. In fact, I, I ran across a story about this this week. It says this, in 1830, a man named George Wilson was arrested for mail theft, the penalty for which was hanging. After a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon, but he refused to accept it. The authorities didn't know what to do. Should Wilson be freed or hanged? They consulted Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. Listen, this is really interesting. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon at all. George Wilson must be hanged. So we don't know what was going on in this guy's life. Why wouldn't you receive a pardon? But I just think it was pride. I think it was an unwillingness to receive grace. Maybe he just wasn't ready to say, I was wrong. And listen, I don't know what you think, the worst sin is but I think the only sin that really uh, covers everything is the sin of pride the unwillingness to say God I am broken and in need of grace and I know it and there's things that I don't see in my life so I want us to take just a second and just in the quiet of your own heart that you would say God show me my life apart from you show me my future apart from you and then what we're going to do is we're going to come back together and we're going to thank him for his grace so just take a few minutes and do that God, we just confess together that uh, apart from Jesus, our hearts are sinful. Um, God, that we are prone to wander away from you. God, that we uh, keep running back to the habits and to the behaviors and the thought processes that look nothing like the kingdom of God. We keep running into unhealthy relationships we keep making decisions that hurt us and hurt others. God, we, we, we lift our voices to you on Sunday and act as if you don't exist on Monday. So God, would you reveal to us our brokenness? Could we look the mess in the eye and we just confess we're afraid to do that. We're afraid what it might look like if we truly saw our lives for what it was. And so we'd rather just distract ourselves. But for just a moment, could you show us who we are Apart from you. God, could you show us our destiny apart from your grace? And then, Jesus, could we right now have a vision for our future with you? God, could we be that woman so overwhelmed by the reality of your grace that we can't help but throw ourselves down at your feet and worship? God, that it would be unforced the the rhythms of our life as we reflect this love for you. So God, thank you so much that we are not stuck in our sin, but Jesus provides us a way out. God, I pray we would be people who would receive it. Humble us, God. Humble your church. Free us from judgmentalism, God. Free us from thinking that we're better. Free us from seeing sin on on a sliding scale. We all equally fall short. Of the glory of God and yet today by your grace and through faith that you give us we can be healed so God could we be healed today pray for the one person maybe in this room today that would make the choice to step forward and say I'm ready to receive your grace God give them your peace the same peace you offered to this woman, God, could you just fill this space with peace? That although our sin is, is bad and it's ugly and it's broken, God, you can give us rest. And God, that we are set apart for a new life, that we are sons and daughters of the King. And God, that we no longer have that old heart, but we have a heart of flesh. And that you can allow us to look more and more like Jesus every day. Thank you for your grace. I pray that this gratitude would come out in the way that we worship in the next few moments. God, show us how to reflect this gratitude. I pray this gratitude would come out tomorrow morning as we spend time with our friends and our families, as we go to work, as we enjoy this beautiful place we live in, God, that we would live lives of deep-seated gratitude. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thank you.